You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. How many of you have ever had to deal with the consequences of someone else's foolish actions? How many of you have ever had to clean up someone else's mess? Now, last week I asked you how many of you have ever made a mistake, and you raised your hands, but you didn't raise them as fast as you did this morning. See, it's a whole lot easier to notice the foolish actions or decisions that someone else has made than it is to recognize the consequences of our own actions. It's much easier to admit someone else's mistakes than it is to admit our own. It's a whole lot easier to find fault and to affix blame than to take ownership of our mistakes. And it's amazing at the, the, the degree to which we can pick out the flaws in someone else when we clearly have so many things that need to be worked on. In fact, I would bet that if you've watched the Olympics this week, you've watched elite athletes on a world stage, and when they've made a mistake, you say, what was he thinking? While you finish your barbecue chips on the couch, you know? <laughs> and watching all of those athletes back to back, we could become experts on what they needed to do and how they needed to land that jump and how far they should have gone or how fast they should have gone down the, the luge. And it's much easier to see those flaws than it is to see the ones in our own lives. We often feel like we've done nothing wrong and that everyone else is at fault. And though we wouldn't say those words, our actions demonstrate that that's the the belief system that we have. Today, in our message, we're going to look at a group of people who had done the right thing. They were minding their own business, but they suffered the consequences of someone else's foolish actions. Last week we looked at Jonah chapter 1, and I pointed out that Jonah is unlike most of the books of the Bible, and that the book that bears his name is not about how he's a hero or even an example of the faith. Many of the characters in the Bible are imperfect, but they're at least good examples for us to follow, to emulate their, their good choices and to avoid their bad choices to take on their good characteristics and avoid their bad characteristics. But Jonah is portrayed as this character who we should avoid to act like him at all. He's not the protagonist or hero of his story. He's the antagonist. He's the villain at worst, or a fool at best. And so we looked at how Jonah made an absolute mess of things last week and how he did exactly the opposite of what God told him to do and he took that mess and made it messier. But this week we're going to focus on some other characters in chapter 1 who find themselves in the same storm that Jonah was in. They find themselves in the same boat as Jonah, literally the same ship, and they hadn't done anything wrong. So let's look at Jonah chapter 1 And we'll pick up reading in verse 4. Jonah's already received a message from the Lord that he's to go to Nineveh, and he's gone the opposite directions towards Tarshish on a ship. Verse 4 says, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. This was a major storm that was about to rip the boat apart. Then the mariners, the ship's crew, were afraid and cried every man unto his own God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. 
So the shipmaster, the captain, came to him and said to him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise and call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, Every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, an Old Testament form of rolling dice, and the the lots fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? And what is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up, and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord, and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beg you, O God, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. God forgive us for what we're about to do, is what they're saying. So they took up Jonah, and they cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah up, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You may remember a story I told you a few years ago about a guy who seemingly had horrible luck. He'd been on a bike ride and decided to take a nap in a field. And he woke up from his nap to find the grassy field that he was in engulfed in flames. So he jumped up, hopped on his bike, and fled down the hill that the grassy fire was in. And when he got to the bottom of the hill, he couldn't stop his bike and hit a train. Talk about horrible luck. So authorities respond to the scene, and they have a fire to put out, and a man who's been struck by a train. Now, he wasn't really struck by a train. The train wasn't moving, and he rode right into it. And as they started to investigate, they figured out the reason that he had rode right into a train that wasn't moving is he was drunk. And the reason that he was napping in that field was because he'd passed out. And the reason that the field had caught on fire is because he was smoking when he passed out. Everything happens for a reason. And sometimes the reason is that you're foolish. Everything that happened to him wasn't just bad luck or misfortune. He had caused it. He had caused the fire, got up to run away from it, and then ran into a parked train because he was drunk and fleeing from the scene of a fire that he had started. People often say everything happens for a reason. That's, that's true. Sometimes the reason is that you're foolish, that you make mistakes. That's what happens to Jonah in this story. Jonah finds himself in a boat that's about to be torn apart in the middle of the sea because he made foolish choices. He got himself into this mess. But there's a parallel truth to this. Everything happens for a reason, and sometimes the reason is that the world is evil. Sometimes we find ourselves in the middle of a mess that we didn't make. Sometimes we find ourselves suffering consequences for someone else's bad choices. And that's where this ship's crew 
finds themselves. They weren't the ones on the run from God. Jonah was. But they were on the same boat that Jonah was on. And sometimes we find ourselves in the same boat as someone who's making foolish choices, disobeying God, even on the run from Him. And maybe your boat is the office that you work in, or your family, your household, your circle of friends. And someone in that boat, someone in that house, someone at that shop has made decisions that affect the rest of you. And you're suffering the consequences for their choices. These men are bystanders in a storm that is sent for Jonah's sake. God has sent this storm to get Jonah's attention, and they're just there. And how fitting is it that the people who are working hard to stay alive in the middle of this horrible storm, the people who are suffering the consequences, the ones who are working hard are the people who didn't make the mistake, and the person who made the mistake is asleep. And I don't know about you, but it kind of seems like to me in this life that oftentimes the person who has caused the problem is the last person to recognize that there's a problem. Am I right? There are probably been people in your boat that have caused it to sink, and they're the last people to know that it's going underwater. This is Jonah's fault, and he's the last person to recognize that there is a problem. But in the actions of the ship's crew, I want you to, to see yourself. I want you to relate to a couple of ways that we try to fix the consequences for other people's misdeeds and actions. First of all, in verse 5, we see that the crew all called upon their own gods. The crew recognized that this was, this was a situation where they would need supernatural help. They would need God in His providence to save them, but there was a problem. They didn't know God in His providence. So everybody called out to his own God. Everybody called out to the God of their own understanding, the God of their forefathers. They were taking a shotgun approach to their spirituality. You recognize the difference between a rifle and a shotgun, right? A rifle shoots, shoots one bullet, a slug. It makes one puncture, a shotgun. You can have a bird shot in it. It has all of these all of these bullets or shot in them that as they leave the gun, they spread out, and so you've got a greater chance of hitting something. And that's how a lot of people treat spirituality and prayer. They don't know God, but they're just throwing prayers up, hoping that it hits something. And these guys are in a bad situation, so they say, everybody pray to your own God. You pray to that God, and you pray to that God, and you pray to that God, and hopefully someone will hear us. We're taking a shotgun approach to this, this thing of spirituality. Paul, when he was in Athens, he noticed that they had a, a statue or a god or an idol for everything, including they even had a statue or an idol to the unknown god. That one was to cover all their bases in case they forgot one. And a lot of people, that's the way that they treat spirituality. I don't really know who God is, but I'm hoping that he'll hear me. You know, I talk to people and say, nah, I'm not, I'm not really in the church, I'm not really into the Bible, but I pray every night. Who are you praying to? Who are these guys praying to? They're just taking their shotgun approach. They're, they're trying to throw prayers out. So hopefully someone will hear me. And this is the way that our world, our culture, approaches spirituality today. We take a little bit of Eastern religion. We take a little bit of mysticism. We take a little bit of magic. We take a little bit of philosophy. We mix it all together. We make a spirituality religion of our own. And the idea today is not only do all roads lead to God, but that you can simultaneously take every road too. And it doesn't work that way. God has made it clear in His Word who He is and who we are to call upon. The God of heaven would not be appeased by these prayers to many false gods. 
When we put our trust in false gods, we set ourselves up with false hope. And, and, and I don't want to be hurtful, and I, I don't want to be, be cruel this morning, but it seems like in our, in our nation, after every tragedy, suddenly everybody is a person of prayer. We're all, we're all sending our thoughts and prayers. One, what does it mean to send thoughts? Okay? Who are we sending thoughts to? None of us have telekinetic powers. Who are we sending thoughts to? What does that even mean? But it's just a nice thing that we say. We're lifting up prayers. Who are we praying to? We're praying to a God that we're not familiar with, that we don't even know. How is that helpful? Enough with thoughts and prayers. Let's call upon the God of heaven. Let's call upon a God who, who has revealed himself to us in his word and through his son, Jesus Christ. When we put our, our hope and trust in false gods, we're setting ourselves up with, with false hope, false trust. Who is it that we're calling out to? Who is it that we're reaching out to? So the crew, every man prays to his own God. And, and two, the crew throws cargo overboard to lighten the ship or to maybe appease the God. And what the crew did, did in this situation is a practical next step to do if you're in a sinking boat. If your boat is sinking, it's taking on water, the thing that you need to do is you need to get water and any weight out of it as, as much as you can. The lighter the boat, the better. Okay? And so what they're doing, not a bad idea. Not a bad idea to lighten the ship, to get some, some cargo off the ship. And I'm sure that as the boat got lighter, it did a little better in the raging sea. But the storm kept raging. And the ocean was still tempestuous. And they were still stuck. They just had a lighter boat. And in our world today, there are all kinds of practical steps that you can take to make your life better. And they will be helpful. But they're not going to save you. They're not going to make everything better. They're not going to cause this world to turn around. You know, if you do Dave Ramsey's plan to get out of debt, it is super helpful. I commend it to you. It will be so good for your finances if you get out of debt, but it's not going to save your soul. If you go on a diet and you lose some weight, that's great. It'll be good for you. You will feel better, but it will not save your soul. If you go to a marriage, go to marriage counseling, go to a marriage retreat, it will help your marriage get better, but it won't save either of you. And these things, these practical steps will be helpful, but they're not going to save you. And there are practical steps in this life that will keep you afloat, but they won't bring you deliverance. And what I'm talking about this morning is not to help you get to next week, not to help you make it through this month or help you make it through this year, but to make it into eternity. That's what we're talking about today. Not staying afloat, but being delivered. And throwing the cargo overboard helped them stay afloat, but it did not deliver them. There is no three-step action plan. There is no 40-day challenge that will save our souls from the brokenness of this world and the storms of this life. It may keep us afloat till next week. So then, the crew, they figure out what the problem is. They find out that Jonah is the reason that this is happening. And they say, sir, what should we do? Now, what is Jonah Jonah is a prophet. Jonah is a prophet. He is God's messenger. He's not a very good one. In fact, we talked about last week, he may be the worst one yet. He's not a good prophet. But here we have people in desperate circumstances asking a man of God what they should do. And he tells them, and they're like, yeah, we don't want to do that. Now, I can't blame him because he says, throw me overboard. And they're thinking, this, this guy, his God is 
causing the storm because he's running the wrong direction. What's he going to do to us if we kill him? So they want to try something else. But can I tell you that I have seen this scenario work out time and time again, that someone who is desperate comes to a man of God and says, what do I need to do? And they tell him, they say, I'm going to try these other things first. Some of you, you've done it. You've been in a desperate situation. You say, Pastor Daniel, what do I need to do? I tell you, you're like, I don't want to do that. I'm going to try this. So they try hard to row to shore. And I commend these guys. It tells us a couple times here how hard they were working. They were trying really, really hard to row this boat to shore. They were doing everything that they could to deliver this ship and the souls in it, but it wasn't working. Verse 13 says, Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring it to land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Some of you can absolutely relate to these guys right now because you are trying your hardest. You're doing everything that you know to do. You are exhausted and weary. You are trying everything that you can, and you're not getting anywhere. You're not any closer to shore. And I commend these guys for their their hard work ethic. I commend these guys for for being people who are willing to put their back into it. Jonah is is sleeping. Jonah is, is, he doesn't care. They are trying. But it's not enough. My friend, hard work, is to be commended. It is a virtue. Hard work will take you far in life, but not far enough. You can't outwork the brokenness of this world. And it doesn't matter how hard we row, we will not make it to shore on our own. And some of you, you've just come off your, your latest round of resolutions where you, you I am going to do it this time. This year is going to be different. I'm going to work hard and you find yourself just, man, is the whole world against me? Every time I try to do the right thing, everything works against me. Quit rowing and surrender. Stop trying. Start trusting. That's what you need to do. You know what the problem was here? The Lord required justice. Notice, Jonah didn't say, if you want the storm to stop, you need to turn this boat around and take me to Nineveh. He says, you need to throw me in the ocean. That seems like a little extreme, don't you? I mean, the answer to this is murder. That's what we have to do. But Jonah knew that God was going to require punishment. The only way the storm is going to stop is if they throw him into the sea, because God is going to require some justice. There has to be some punishment for the breaking of this command. Now, Jonah is trying to get away from what God is telling him to do. He's trying to get away with something, and he's not successful. The mariners are trying to do the right thing, but in their own way, and they're not successful. And the only way that they're going to get out of this mess is if they do the right thing the Lord's way. And the Lord required justice. You see, whether you try to get away from God, try to run and hide from Him, or you try to make everything good with God on your own, you're not going to be successful. You can't hide from Him 
and you can't please them on your own. Neither works. God is going to require justice, and it's a justice that you and I can't satisfy. Jonah has to be thrown into the sea because God requires justice. But Jonah isn't lost because God is gracious. You see, when we trust the Lord, His justice and His grace meet for our deliverance. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? You know, let, me, let me explain to you what I mean, okay? Imagine with me that we're leaving church today and we're pulling out of the parking lot and I wreck into your car. So you have a nice car and I wreck it. It's obviously my fault. And you get out and you don't say any curse words because I'm the pastor and I'm standing there, but you're not happy. And I say, hey, uh, I'm sorry, but I don't have insurance. And you're like, oh, this is just great. I'm going to have to sue the pastor to get my car fixed. And I say, listen, I, I, don't, I don't have any money either. So if you're going to get your car fixed, you're going to have to take me to court. So you take me to court. And we find out the judge who's going to preside over our case, and he's a good judge. And you think, oh, he's a good judge. He's going to make sure that Pastor Daniel pays for my car to be fixed. And I think, oh, he's a good judge. Maybe he'll be nice to me and won't make me pay. You see, for, for him to be a good judge to both of us, someone's going to lose, right? Because if he finds in my favor doesn't make me pay, you lose out and your car is still busted. But if he finds in your favor and your car is fixed, I'm indebted and I can't pay. Our Lord is not just a good judge. He is the good and great, just and merciful judge. So imagine if the judge says, listen, Pastor Dan, I know that you can't pay because you've been irresponsible. And I know that this person's car needs to be fixed, so I'm not going to require you to pay. And I say, yes, he's a good judge. And you're thinking, wait a minute. And he says, but I'm going to pay for the damages. And our God is a God who is both just and gracious because he requires payment and then makes the payment himself. He requires there to be punishment for sin. And then he takes the punishment himself. Our God is a judge that forgives the debt and covers the damages. Did you hear what Psalm 85 said when I read it to you earlier? It reminds you of a couple of verses. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God of salvation, and cause thine anger towards us to cease. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And where God's justice and his mercy come together, we find our salvation. Who am I? Who am I? Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. Who am I? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Jonah and these mariners are all saved alive because God requires justice, but then sends a great big fish to swallow Jonah whole and deliver him across three days and three nights to shore where he's supposed to be. As soon as Jonah hits the water, the storm ceases and there is peace in the sea. I want you to know this, something about this whole situation. 
the people who are trying the hardest to do the right thing here are the pagans. Jonah grew up in the land of Israel. He knew the God of heaven, the Hebrew God, the God who's revealed in Scripture. That God calls out to him specifically and gives him a message. But when they get on the boat, the guy who grew up in Israel, who knew the God of heaven, acts as if he could care less. But the people who did not grow up in a land where the true God was known and worshipped, people who had not heard a message from the Lord, they are trying their best. They believed if they threw Jonah overboard that they'd be in big trouble. They feared what would happen to them. The pagans had a greater faith in the justice and holiness and righteousness of this God than Jonah did. Jonah knew the God of heaven and ran from him and tried to hide from him. Jonah knew that his God, the God of heaven, was the maker of land and sea and tried to hide from him in the sea. Jonah the Hebrew turns out to be the one who doesn't fear the Lord, and the pagan ship's crew turns out to be the ones who do fear the Lord. You see, there is a big difference between a religious affiliation and religious adherence. There's a big difference between religious affiliation and religious adherence. Here's what I'm saying. There's a big difference between being called a Christian and being a Christian. There's a big difference between being familiar with church and following Christ. And Jonah is the one who is familiar with God, has an affiliation with God as a prophet of God, and he's the one that's getting everybody else into this mess. Studies have shown that regions that have high religious affiliation often have very low religious adherence. Let me show you a map that was recently put together. It looks like a topographical map. You're familiar with a topographical map, right? Topographical map is where the elevation of certain areas is shown. This one looks way off, right? That's not where the mountains are in the U.S. This topographical map is not based upon physical elevation, but rather religious adherence. And in areas and locations where people actually attend, serve, give to the mission of their church, there's a high religious adherence, not just affiliation. They name the high regions different mountain ranges. That's where the greens and the yellows and the oranges are. And then where there is a low religious adherence, there's the blues. And as they get lower and lower, the blues get darker and darker, and it looks like bodies of water. So in locations where there's a low religious adherence, despite religious affiliation, there's a body of water on this map. So let me zoom in on Indiana for us. Where we are at on this map of religious adherence, we're in a low spot. In fact, they've even named it Warwick Bay on this map. You see, all around us there are people who claim to be Christian or evangelical on a survey, but they don't attend, serve, or give to a congregation. They're not participating in the mission of God. They're like Jonah. That if you asked them, they'd say, I worship the God of heaven but they don't follow him or fear him. They are religious doubters or religious atheists or Christian atheists. This pagan ship's crew had more faith in God's righteousness than the religious prophet. They cast lots on this boat to figure out who it is 
that has gotten them into this mess. And it shows that Jonah is, is the person. He wins the dice game. But you know, this is not the first time that Jonah's won a lottery. He also won the lottery when he was born to God's people, the Jews. He also won the lottery when God came to him and gave him a message. And with those, those winnings, if you will, he just walked away from it. Do you know that I won the lottery? I didn't win any money. I don't play the lottery. I didn't win the Hoosier lottery. But I was born to a family that, that lived in the United States, that went to church. I won the lottery, man. Grew up in a household of faith, among people who followed Christ. I am so fortunate. So fortunate. And I'm speaking to other people this morning that you won the lottery too. And you were blessed to be born to a household like that, to grow up in a household of faith, to attend church when you were a child. But you are like Jonah this morning. That you know about God, but you don't follow Him. That you're affiliated with Christianity, but you're not adhering to Christianity. And then I'm talking to people this morning that you're like that ship's crew. That you didn't grow up around church or in a Christian home. But through some storm or through some what seemed to be random event, God came pouring into your life. And you got, you got a wake-up call like this ship's crew did. Jonah is not the, the hero of his book. And in comparison to Jonah, this ship's crew looks like they're the heroes. But they're not. You know who is the hero of this story? You know who is the true protagonist or hero of the book of Jonah? It's not Jonah. It's not the mariners. It's not even the big fish. It's God. Because every step along the way, he was calling out to Jonah and calling out to this ship's crew. You see, I think sometimes we look at the Bible and we think it's a story of good guys and bad guys. It's a story of, of good and evil. That there are good guys like David and Moses and Abraham. This is not a story of good guys and bad guys. It's a story of a bunch of bad guys and one good guy. One hero. Earlier I asked you if you've ever found yourself in the consequences of someone else's foolish actions, someone else's poor choices. The truth is that all of us are suffering the consequences for all of our bad choices. And there's only one person in all of history who was truly innocent, who never made a wrong choice, never made a wrong decision, and he suffered the consequences for all of our bad decisions. There's only ever been one truly good guy, and he died for all of the bad things that everyone else has ever done. This ship's crew, they... They weren't the ones that caused this storm, but they were imperfect and broken, just as you and I are. 
and they needed to be saved from the storm by God's justice and His mercy meeting together. And some of you, you're rowing so hard, you're trying so hard. You're calling out to anybody who will listen, praying to anybody who will hear you. You're trying to take steps in your life to make things better. You need to call out to the Lord. You've got to stop trying and start trusting. Call out to Him. And where God's mercy and His justice met on Calvary when Christ died on a cross to take the consequences of every wrong thing that any of us have ever done, there we find our salvation. That's where we find forgiveness. And we all like to think that we're the hero of our own story, that this life is a story about us. But the hero of Jonah is the hero of our story too. It's all about him. Who am I? Who am I? It's not because of who I am. It's not because of what I've done. It's because of who you are and what you have done. He's the hero of this story. Whether you've grown up religious or you've grown up a pagan, he can be the hero of this story. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, I ask that you work in hearts this morning. Lord, that you would, you would call out to us. Lord, that in the middle of whatever storm, whatever catastrophe, whatever calamity we may be in, we would see, Lord, that our only deliverance is where your mercy and justice meet at the cross. Where Christ took the consequences for our poor choices. Lord, I pray that today would be a day that someone puts their hope and trust in you and they're delivered. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me. Carrie's going to lead us in a verse of song. God's speaking to your heart. God's calling out to you. You're trying so hard, and this morning you just need to come and trust Him. Would you come to this altar? Like they sang earlier, would you come to the altar where He can come and pour His hope, His grace, His love into your brokenness? We're going to sing, but the altar is going to be open for anybody who needs to come and pray. Brother Carrie, lead us.